Hey creatives, you're listening to The Truth is Golden, a podcast produced by Revelator Studio and hosted by yours truly. My name is Arno, welcome to this episode. It is a show about creative minds, what makes them tick, their successes, failures, and everything in between. It is for people who are interested to learn more about creativity and its potential to make the world a better place. This is a special episode outside of our usual interview format. I recently was part of a panel discussion at the Interior Design Show in Toronto along with Peter Sobchak, editor at Canadian Interiors and moderator of the panel, Babak Eslaju, principal at Core Architects, Amanda Large, co-founder of Double Space Photography, and Kyle Bergman, the founder of the Architecture and Design Film Festival in New York City. We discussed truth and representation in architectural media. This was our conversation. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at revelator underscore TO or on our website at rvltr.studio. Let's just go around and introduce ourselves. Everyone, I think, knows me. I'm Peter Sobchak, editor of Canadian Interiors. Mm-hmm. Arno Martri, architectural photographer. Mahasti Eslujou, Azure Magazine. I'm Anna Keo. I'm attendee from uh, DK Studio Architects. Scott Francisco, architect and founder of Pilot Projects, um, now based in Montreal, from originally from New York. Babak Eslujou, principal of Core Architects. Kyle Bergman. And run the architect, architect and run the architecture and design film festival from New York. I'm Amanda Large. I'm half of Double Space Photography, the architectural photographer. Which half are you? <laughs> better one. The better half. <laughs> <laughs> so, how many uh, photographers only here, as opposed to architect and photographer? I'm trained as an architect. Do you design? Though? No, I don't currently practice. Well, then I'm yeah. qualified. So, as just a photographer. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. But you, I know you both trained as architects, mm-hmm. so you still identify. No, in that I way, identify so as a photographer who was okay. trained in architecture. I guess. Well, everyone. Yeah. So, aside from me, I guess, because I'm the only one not tr- either trained or mm-hmm. you know making a living as a photographer. I'm kind of the outlier on this. Uh, but I'm still in media, so I'm on the receiving end of, of tons of images. Um, when I was going to start this, I had a slightly different mentality of how I was going to uh, lead into it. I was going to give a little, little you know, blurb about some of the history of architectural photography and all that. But I guess I don't need to do that. Everyone knows who Ezra Stoller is, uh, Julia Schluman, uh, uh, you know, the relationships between um, photographers like uh, Pedro Guerrero and Frank Lloyd Wright. So I don't need to go into that. But what I did want to make a point to say, uh, to lead it off, is that the power relationship between the architect and the photographer is incredible. And it's an important one to take a close look at, especially in this age of digital imagery, how easy it is to change things, how uh, narratives are created, destroyed, created again to support different agendas, all those types of things. Back when photography was a hard and complicated piece of technology, it was harder to fake. Now it's super easy to fake. So uh, I was going to lead off uh, by asking the photographers here, um, and Babak, maybe because of your photography as well, you might want to jump in as well. But I was going to ask what, uh, give a brief outline of what your um, uh, sort of what your tools are, what uh, uh, like what you what you use, what your styles are, like people, no people. Do you have an aesthetic you stick to? Those kinds of things. The use of uh, of uh, 
uh, offline uh, photography editing software, that kind of stuff. So just a brief outline of kind of what you use professionally. Do you want to start? Sure. Um, my partner and I shoot with Shoot Digital. Uh, our primary body is a mirrorless camera. We use um, we use pr uh, mostly technical lenses, so perspective control lenses. Um, we shoot always with a tripod, often tethered to our laptop, so we can double check our images as we take them. Um, we shoot raw files as most. Uh, professional photographers do, and those are sort of the equivalent of negatives, so they need to be brought into a digital darkroom and corrected. We try to do as much work in camera as we can, but we do use the full arsenal of tools that we have at our disposal, as most <laughs> most uh, digital photographers do these days. Yep. Uh, my answer would be very similar um, to Amanda's digital SLR, uh, tilt shift lenses, a fair amount of retouching. Um, I probably do more photo retouching than what would be typical in the sense that I like to compose images, especially when I put people in the shots where I'm going to take a base image with the room empty and then I'm going to play with people around the scene. And, and all of that has got to be recomposed in Photoshop. So there's a lot of um, blending of multiple plates in, in post-production that happens. Uh, it's not so much to change the space, but to add things that will make the images look better or more uh, relevant to mm -hmm. what I'm supposed to deliver to my client. So all of your people are always, can I ask questions? Yeah, absolutely. So you never shoot with people in it, you show, shoot spaces and then you add uh, moving live people. I think I was trying to say that he's shooting the people in the spaces, but you don't always have the correct um, configuration of yeah. people at one time. I see. So yeah. you shoot one with like you know a man walking down the stairs, and another so another like plate with another right. plate with somebody else, and then you would com you would stack them right. sort of I together would shoot and include the room all the people. Empty and, and I'd shoot the person the guy in same it. view, right. but just two plates. Right. And are you the? Are, uh, sorry, just jump, jump, jump in. Jump in. in. Um, are you doing the actual recomposition? yourself or do you have like a team of people or is it like is um, there a system for doing that there's a system uh, I hardly do any retouching myself I, I work with people who yeah. do that for me but there's a process in place and I send them the plates and tell them this is what I want and they do it for me but whether I would do it myself or not would be the same result, yeah. and are they in this country or a foreign country no they're here <laughs> <laughs> they're uh, they're in yeah, in, in Toronto. Yeah, that's cool. That's nice. well, like that one, um, um, was there a logical, why couldn't you shoot them together? Uh, it's very simple, it's because I want to keep the possibility or the option mm -hmm. to have the okay. room empty if yeah. the client wanted that. I don't like empty rooms, I much prefer having people in the shots, but sometimes it's not entirely up to me. So it's also to have the option to go back to a more uh, traditional okay. architectural photograph that doesn't have people in there. I know sometimes we do it too because occasionally our exposures are very long when we're shooting interiors or exteriors. So you have people, if you're especially exteriors at night, you know, you have an exposure of 20 seconds, people are not going to, you're going to have blurs. I mean, we wouldn't, you know, and even during the day in interiors, sometimes you have two second, five second exposure. So somebody walking by is just going to be a colorful blur, which might not be what you want, so or you could take invisible. another exposure, yeah. Probably, yeah, or not show up at all. So you would change your your camera 
settings mm -hmm. to capture the person in them, but you want the actual space to be the cleanest um, file that you can have, so you would have a longer exposure. In fact, what about you? Because <laughs> I'm looking at you as kind of uh, a doppelganger in a sense. You yeah. you straddle both, and it's almost like I think I've heard I've heard you basically say that if you could, yeah, you'd, be, you'd rather be <laughs> a photographer than an architect. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, I think that my, this is my sister Mahasti here, so it's funny, I remember one day uh, she told me about 40 years ago or something, she says, you probably, yeah, she was a toddler, <laughs> but, she was a toddler. <laughs> but she told me, oh, you probably make it as a photographer, you know, rather than architect, or some comment you made like that. As only a, and, as only a sibling could say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, only a sibling. Yeah. I was so wrong. Yeah, so it was kind of interesting uh, for me. Um, but I, obviously, like, what do you use? Like, do you, do you have just a simple, so I'm not in this league at all. Like this is a different league. These guys, obviously professionals. I, what I did is, is I started early and I was at the forefront of technology until digital showed up. And so, you know, I, I had a Nikon F2, which my dad gave me, uh, when he went to Japan and then he, when he stopped uh, sort of working hard with it, I was using the, the Nikon F2 for everything, which is only 35 millimeter. Uh, was all I did, and and I, but I printed all of my own stuff. So, talking about retouching afterwards for whatever was available in terms of lenses or sort of filters or hand or towel or whatever, all the means that was what I mean by forefront of technology back then. I used that, and I did a lot of work in the dark room, just my black and whites. Um, what do you do now? So so then I so then I stayed away from it. Then I decided to become an architect and I had a job and then I had started my firm 25 years ago. And so I kind of dropped off until I, I was still doing photography with, with, you know, just color film and stuff like that. Um, and having it printed outside, but at steak and labs, you know, those guys, I don't know if they're still mm -hmm. around. I BGM, remember them. I don't know if they're still around. BGM, steak and lab, these guys. But, um, but then when digital took over, I, I really didn't, I didn't go along with it. I was kind of too old, I guess, and uh, especially all the after sort of uh, effects that, that, that happened. So what I, what I did is I bought uh, a digital camera, uh, still in a 35 millimeter zone, not, not like a large format, but, um, and I basically, all the pictures that I, and, and I decided to put all my pictures on Instagram because People were saying you're gonna die soon and all of that stuff. Nobody's gonna pick it up and your family. That wasn't me. Your family, <laughs> your family's gonna throw it out. So why don't you just start putting it on Instagram? So when we wanted to go on Instagram, it's just my office is doing it. There are guys in there that just do the. It's just they just add contrast, really. Nothing, nothing more than that. We just add contrast and a few crops here and there, which. Uh, I saw one of these images was missing, but uh, but I think um, going through the whole thing. Yet? Yeah, no, I think it's just kind of going through slowly. Yeah, slowly. So um, so that's really the extent of it um, for me. Okay. Yeah. So I'm gonna Amanda start uh, with you with this question, okay. and then I'll just the exact question will be back to you. But it it's it's the beginning of the conversation of the relationship between okay. you, the photographer, and an architect, mm -hmm. i.e., your client who hires you. So when a client does hire you, I'm curious, do you, you know, where's, where's your mindset? Do you feel that your job is to execute their vision or to <coughs> inform them of a vision, in a sense, try to execute your vision? 
Uh, is it serving them or, your, or yourself? And how do you navigate that, that relationship? And an important secondary question mm -hmm. is how do you know if you're going in, if that relationship or that expectation is going in the wrong direction? Um, okay, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, I think uh, my partner and I, Eunice and I, tried to nurture client relationships, which are really a collaboration, when image making becomes a collaboration. I mean, we feel that it's our job to tell our clients' story. And to do that, you know, I mean, for our personal work, or I'm happy to just go into space and take the photos that I think are great. But we really think it's important to tell our clients' stories. And that involves more than just visiting the, the building or even reading a design brief. So really, we try to nurture um, client relationships where, where it lies somewhere between the two. We want their vision. We want to, to have the sort of intimate knowledge that comes from having worked on a project for years and years and knowing every corner of it. But also, we really um, appreciate and respect when our clients give us the space to use our own, our own creativity, our own experience and expertise, and, um, and, and I, I suppose. So it lies somewhere between the two. So those are the, those are the sort of client relationships we try to nurture or we try to build. Um, we have a lot of conversations before we even photograph something. I mean, some of the time, this is, it's, it's never 100% one thing. Um, we talk, um, we like to have um, the architect or at least a representative from the office on site with us. Those are always the funnest shoots when they hang out all day and say that, see that we, also they see that we really are working <laughs> super hard. <laughs> no, but they're there and they, we, they can give input in real time. And I think one of my favorite things on shoots is when um, the project architect, we take something and they say, oh, I, I, I never thought to look at the building this way or I've never seen it this way before. And so, so it becomes a sort of back and forth. And that's the ideal situation for me, I think. I mean, I love doing personal work where I just go and explore somewhere and take what I think are compelling images, but we think to do our clients' work justice, it needs to be sort of a more back and forth. So that would be my okay. answer, I guess. And I'm, I don't really know how to say where it goes. I don't think there's any going wrong. I mean, I don't think it ever goes wrong. It just might be sometimes that a photographer isn't the right fit for a client. I mean, we don't, nobody gets along with everyone, right? I mean, sometimes it's a better fit than others. And, um, you know, I'm not particularly interested in just being told exactly what to do and that and someone, but I mean, we were, that doesn't really come up very often. <laughs> no. no. Okay. Know, well, my answer will be very similar. I would add a couple of things. Is I've had every type of client on the spectrum. So from control freaks who um, don't really trust you to people who let you do your thing. And I think the ideal situation is somewhere in the middle where I'm valued for my uh, eye and expertise. And I, I'm we're able to have the dialogue with the client where we can actually collaborate. And I have a few clients where when we go to do a shoot, they spend the whole day with me. And I, I want to be respectful of that because it's a huge time commitment, especially if it's the principal of the firm, right? They're taking the whole day to do the shoot. It's always fun for them, but it takes them away from the office. So these are the best because there's that trust and we can honestly have a conversation. And very often it happens, they say, I'm going to go with an idea and they say, I think we should try this. And because there's that um, two-sided trust, I can say, okay, we'll, we'll try that. And sometimes their ideas work out better, sometimes they don't. But we have that kind of trusting relationship. Um, I've had clients, and I tend not to work with them 
after that happens too many times, but I've had clients who want me to try something and I'm going to try and it doesn't work. And at that point, it gets to the point where I have to tell them what you're asking is not realistic for one reason or another. And they try and keep on pushing. And that's where I know the relationship's not going the right direction because there's not that level of trust. And, I, and I'll never, probably never be able to get there. So um, it's working with people over a period of time that really helps determine if they're a good fit or not. Because it's really hard to tell when you're working with them for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, but another thing that I'll add in, in my process on how I work with clients, I try to have at least three touch points in the process where they are given the space to give me feedback on the work I've been doing. And that's at the beginning where we have a conversation about the project and I ask a lot of questions. What, what's the design brief? What was their intent? What do they hope to do with the photography? And all those questions that will inform how I work. And then there's the scouting shoot where we look at all the proofs and uh, we make the selection for the final shoot. So that's also another opportunity for a conversation. And sometimes what comes out of the scouting shoot is not what they expected. So they can tell me and I can take that into consideration going into the final shoot. And then at the end of the final shoot, I send them again another bunch of proofs and they can pick the images they really want. So I try to maintain that dialogue throughout as well. To the architects in the room, I'm going to flip that question around. I'm going to ask you, how do you, uh, what do you look for when you're looking to hire a photographer? And what, from the architect side of things, how do you uh, sort of orchestrate and manage that relationship to, I mean, I think we all agree that the best situation is a, a, a healthy, robust relationship where the end result benefits everyone. But again, it's a client, uh, uh, you know, a, a sort of client uh, craftsman relationships. I'm curious, how do you get it started? I'm going to put back on the hot seat to get uh, to get us going on that how do you what do you look for when you're looking for a photographer well uh, you know we do we have a different kind of a practice where we we do a lot of condominiums um, and uh, we find that uh, in institutional work uh, there's a lot of clients that actually help pay for the photographer Um, you know in the condo world we don't really have that uh, so we we started off by having uh, photographers, but ended up being a big part of our budget. We, you know, we kind of finish off 10, 15, 20 buildings a year. So it's really difficult for us to photograph all of them. Um, so we kind of have a combination of myself, another guy in my office, and a professional photographer that does it. So sometimes it's our own. And an architect's relationship really with his building doesn't really start the moment that he wants to get a photograph. It actually starts the first day. The first day he's actually thinking about the building, it starts with the rendering. So, you know, our whole profession is about images. It's about communicating your ideas through images, through drawings, through, you know, that kind of medium. And, um, and so it starts with your own idea of how this building is supposed to look, what are the best angles to see, the idea of the building, uh, what what are the kinds of things that you want to come through. So the architect will come with a very strong idea, I suppose. I guess that must be your experience of, of the kinds of things that he wants to see. And it really comes from him having designed it that way, having, having rendered it, and so on. So, um, <clears throat> so I think it is um, a difficult process. So 
when we're going ourselves, it's, it's a lot easier, but um, we've had situations where we don't really go to, to the site with the photographer. We've asked them uh, to do this. Sometimes they go and they do one round and they come back and then they go again. So, um, you know, we comment on the first round and then they finish it off. And it's usually not very uh, confrontational because it's, it's kind of like, this is what we like to see. Uh, and sometimes they come up with great ideas of things we haven't seen, especially details and interiors because we don't necessarily have all of the interior angles figured out. And sometimes they come up with some interesting feedback. Right. And he, sure, I'll jump in a little bit. So, you know, <clears throat> as like certain drawings are for certain things, you do your renderings and your sketches for certain things, you do your construction documents for certain things, and you want different photographs for different things. And so, you know, uh, when we do buildings, when I've done buildings, I want some that are for what I want to do in the future. Some of them are for different, for magazines, it's, you know, or for print. I'm looking for different kind of photographs. And then when working with clients, there's personal photographs that they want. So I think there's a whole range of different things we try to get out of photographs from a, you know, from a project. And, you know, um, but I always work with young photographers because I kind of have a vision of what I want and that's maybe the wrong approach. <laughs> uh, you know, so I'm not, you know, when I'm for my buildings, but the residential scale, I'm not, I'm not looking to bring in a different eye. I'm looking to bring in a technician. That's just how I work. That may not be good or bad, but that's what I, that's what I'm trying to bring. In. Yeah. Mm. <clears throat> Scott, how about you? You have any of your buildings for there? Yeah, lots, and it's really, I mean, at all relatively small scale. Well, mm -hmm. some some projects which are, I guess, the, here, here's the first thing that comes to mind: the stakes are really high for architects and image making. I feel that's the first thing that keeps yeah. cycling through my head, and and it makes me. Uh, and, and I see that as a negative. I love photography. I grew up in a family of photographers, and so I want to qualify everything I say with tremendous respect for photography as a pursuit and a profession. But I feel uh, that the image making, um, the dependency for one, that architects more and more have on the image. I feel like, I mean, even though that's the whole history of architecture is also about making images, pre-photography, etc. But the exponential rise in image uh, production and distribution um, is uh, a really heavy weight for the profession to carry. I think and these are very personal, if sure. because it's a small group and yeah, <laughs> maybe yeah. it's fun to talk about. Like, um, yeah, the proliferation of images, man. It's just I just feel like this weight of like having to make the video i mean I'm, no, I'm switching to video but like that's sort of the and like rather than shooting five photographs you need to shoot 500 photographs in order to even get a few good ones so like between the capacity to make images uh from a technical level the distribution of them the dependency on on your uh, marketing for the images become and then the competition because everyone's doing it so there's an escalation or a um, inflation of the importance, the quantity, the capacity, all that stuff is growing, right? And then I, I think of projects where I have um, not photographed or put, or not, not photographed, it's never not photographed a building, but like 
put less emphasis on that and linking that to the thought process for the architect as a designer in the rendering. So it's unavoidable to say, to bring rendering into this conversation because the, uh, the image that precedes the building, right? I mean, the, the, there's, one, there's one moment that happens, or a kind of moment that happens in every architect's kind of thing, which is, here's the rendering, here's the finished product, like, there's a desire, uh, even if it's just curiosity, to put the two together. And like, how close did we get it right? Did we get it real, right? So <coughs> to the degree that that desire exists, a sort of pre, precondition or whatever, that you make the image, then you do the thing and you see it, versus I don't know what this building is going to look like, which is a whole other way of thinking about architecture, which we are losing to some degree because the image has become so much a part of the and our capacity to make a rendering that looks, that could be a rendering. Not one of us here could probably tell for sure if that is a rendering or not because of the technologies we have and the fluidity of between the yeah. stuff, right? You're, you're basically, you're hitting the nail right on the head that is kind of the core of what we're gonna be talking about later is that exact, you know, you call it fluidity, I call it a, is there a line? Has it been crossed? Should we be concerned about that? So yeah, well, I want to come back to that, but you've, you've said a few things, and it's interesting how the choice of words in defining what photography and architecture and the relationship that those two have, the choice of words can, can speak volumes. Mm -hmm. Because I'm gonna throw this question out, and I'm curious everyone's reaction. Is it fair to, in a sense, call architectural photography just a, an arm of commercial photography? Is its job basically to, to promote architects, architecture? Is it fair to say that? Because the follow-up question to that is, because I'm going to say probably yes, from a, almost like a uh, well, that's funding from it. a taxonometric perspective, it's basically a form of promotion. If that's the case, is or why is architectural photography held to a different standard than typical commercial photography? And I'll give you an example of what I mean by that, because no one has a problem when they walk into a McDonald's and they see a Big Mac on the... I was going to give the exact same example. <laughs> well, it's a classic example. Yeah. Here's what you're going to get. Because it's, you know, an obvious one. No one has a problem looking at a, a beautiful, you know, steak burger with glistening and everything's been done perfectly. And then what they get looks like, you know, dog's breakfast. Yeah. But no one has a problem with that. And no one says that this photographer should have, should have refused to do this job or shouldn't have done this job yeah. because... Exactly. No one holds a photographer accountable yeah. for the fact that their Big Mac looks like it, someone stepped on it, right? Mm -hmm. But absolutely, if that ever happened in even the slightest degree with, with a, a building, you'd have... It's not like the building's falling down, but like, you know, just representation. You would have... Yeah, alarm bells going off. So my question is, should architectural photography be held to a different standard, or is it held to a different standard than commercial photography? I know you're going to love this answer, but <laughs> yes and no. The Big Mac or the Volvo, as uh, we've seen, in, uh, those are products you can pretty much get to physically anywhere in the world. So if you see the picture of a Big Mac that looks better than it does in reality, one, it doesn't change the taste of the Big Mac. It's always going to taste the same way anywhere you go in the world, or close to. And um, they're not selling you um, a perfect object as it is in the picture. They're selling you a burger, selling you a taste and an experience, or however you want to call this. But it's something you can be in Shanghai, Toronto, Paris, you'll have access to a Big Mac. So 
there's always that ability to see the real thing in person. Buildings don't move, and 99% of people will never see a building in person. So we rely on images to uh, convey a sense of what the building's about. And for most people, that's all it's ever going to be. So I think that's why there is some, there seems to be some kind of expectation that commercial architectural photography be held to a different standard because for most people, that's the only way to experience a building. I have more things I want to add to that, but um, I want to let the other... Just look at this, this photo just for a second. I just, I'm sorry just to jump in, but let's just say there was a really ugly gas meter that got put in front of that stone wall. Um, okay, like I would be so tempted and probably would Photoshop that out. Okay, right? I can tell you there wasn't, but yeah, <laughs> I, no, I see what you mean. But you know what I mean? And like, <coughs> better if there wasn't, whoever, who's the architect of this? Uh, uh, McKay Lines. Okay, so good for them that they didn't let that happen. But I've had numerous projects where some version of that has happened and it's been so frustrating. And like, do I want to show that ugly gas meter? Like, would I like the client to plant a hedge in front of it or have rerouted or whatever? Yes, but I mean, that's, I think well, that's what I, I, we all face that yeah. maybe every day. I think we day, can come right? into that now. We can come uh, into that. Unless someone, the, the commercial I just wanted to add to the thing. I mean, first of all, I, mean, I think the fashion industry takes a fair amount of heat for photoshopping and manipulating mm -hmm. images. So it isn't just architecture as a commercial photography mm -hmm. that does. But also, like I think architecture as um, as a discipline is just held to a higher standard than other types of design. I mean, just the scale and the um, the permanence of a building. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's like Arno said. It's not the same. I mean, if you want to, technically, is it a, a, it's not. You know, it's not the same as a product. Um, buildings touch and affect people in so many more ways than than mm -hmm. like something that you just own for a little bit of time does. And buildings affect more than just the people mm -hmm. who use them too. They affect the people who have to look at them every day, who pass by them. Um, so many things like that. That you know, I think just architecture is held to a higher standard. So it makes sense that that the, the representation of architecture would be as well. But I mean, so some of the things you you said there, while true, and no one's mm -hmm. going to really disagree with yeah. that. That, you know the, the permanence, the, the 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 massive amount of t uh, material and energy, and like just yeah. the scale of how important a building is to our existence, way more than a Big Mac or any sort of trying to find a comparable thing. But at the same time, and Arnaud literally just said that, and he's 100% right, 99.9% .9 of people do not experience 99.9% well, no, of all buildings, <laughs> but they pick up magazines but and that's, see them. That's, that's also how it's different and held to a different standard, because like he said, a mass-produced object, um, not everyone has access to it, but more people do than, than a building to actually have to go physically to a city to visit the building. You know, So it's the, if it's the only, maybe you know, if it's photographed by multiple photographers, it's not the only representation and now there's Instagram, so you can go and see what you know people would just see their phones are, are taking too. But I mean, uh, the images are the only, for most people, the only way. So that is why you know it seems that there's more of an onus to be to represent reality. Mm -hmm. <laughs> in okay, so let me see if I understand what you're saying. So be, you're saying because architecture, in and of itself, is held to a higher standard as it should be. That's not my architectural. Only answer. I know you're not but, your only yeah. answer. But I'm just kind of rephrasing to. What do you mean to, by to, higher? To, I'm confused by higher standard. You put that out there, but I don't know what that means. Architecture Compared or commercial photography. Well, just the idea that architectural photography is held to a higher standard. 
Can, can you describe that? We're that means? Well, I sitting it, here having a discussion about whether retouching is like yeah, acceptable is the, or moral, or we have a responsibility. Yeah. Is a higher standard we jump more retouching or less retouching? That's the so core thing I want to say. Less retouching. So you're saying higher standard is authenticity. Yes. That's different than higher standard as technical aptitude to produce the ideal image. Those are two um, different standards. True, right? and we're, let, let's, for this purpose of yeah. this conversation, go with the former. Authenticity. Like, authenticity. authenticity. Yeah. Capturing the truthfulness the versus the water <laughs> stains. To, to exactly, That's higher standard. So, well, by higher standard, we could, for the purpose of this, say, how, uh, how accurate is it? Is it just, is it a documentation versus a manipulation okay. to elicit a certain response or a certain interaction that then feeds to a larger business very model. Very important to distinguish. It is very important. Standards but it goes if, directly if you're, to if you're a product photographer, your higher standard is the glistening big Mac. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the higher standard. Yeah. So uh, this is where I think that that split is occurring because how you experience the food, and I'm actually not entirely sure that I even agree with, like a high-end chef would actually say the image of the food is part of the experience and therefore that reality of when I present it with the plate, it should look better even than the photograph. Mm -hmm. Whereas maybe a Big Mac, I don't care, but but the <clears throat> the interaction between the image and the experience is kind of what we're talking about here. And an element that architecture incorporates is time, right? And mm -hmm. the image is a static thing versus a building. A Big Mac lasts for what, five minutes? <clears throat> a building lasts for 100, 200, 500 years. So the moment in time, like water stain, no water stain. Chip in the concrete, no chip in the concrete. Uh, gas meter, which wasn't there when, when the building was built and I'm photographing it three years later, what the hell, these people came and put the stupid gas thing there. So like, that shouldn't be there. So, but maybe it won't be there in 25 years. It, that storytelling of moving through time is so much a part of what the architecture is offering. And a photograph has such a unique relationship to that anyway that's but I mean, the thing about the, the comparison to big mac is that you don't go to eat a big mac because you saw that photo i mean a lot of us don't know why we go to mcdonald's <laughs> when we do, but we are not looking at that picture to be a truthful picture of it and we're kind of used to it culturally that that's always there and then we eat it because we've eaten it when we were five and we liked it and you know, that's how you consume that. So it's, is the purpose of the picture to promote the consumption of it? And I think in the case of Big Mac, I don't think it is. I don't think people go, they go there because they're buck 19. But the that's question why they is, go there. if they photograph the actual burger as it's served to you, <laughs> would you go eat it? Even if it I was think, a buck 19? I think you still go eat it. I that's why I'm saying, I'm saying that in case of Big Mac, it's not, the picture is not relevant to what the picture is trying to do because the picture is not selling the product. I don't agree, I'm no. sorry. I yeah, completely I disagree. Yeah. That I disagree image, is, well. the image is eliciting You You remember Big Mac. You but, always remember Big Mac but let me after put this the way, first time you had it. To, tr to try and continue the comparison there, if, if I put uh, Wendy's menu, Burger King's menu, uh, Ruth's Chris Steakhouse's menu, uh -huh. you know, like another high-end place <clears> burger, <throat> but all you saw was the text and it literally just described the basic ingredients. How would you decide which one to go right. to? Honestly, images do play a part in that. I think most marketers would tell you that it actually plays a ridiculously high percentage of I think influencing where people go to spend their money. Things people did not know before, perhaps, 
but I think you know maybe Big Mac is the wrong example. But Perhaps, Big Mac yeah. is yeah. such a part of yeah. uh, another culture item that people that, that not everybody is familiar with. But yeah. right. that they're saying. I was just yeah. trying to think of like an object that's a really good example of something that looks great and has little to no relation to what you actually get. Right. Like in terms of again visually, there's no way they could convey the taste of a Big Mac in a mm -hmm. in an image. You're right. Sometimes people just love a cheeseburger and they'll go anywhere to get it. It doesn't matter what it looks like. Mm -hmm. But that's not. I'm not talking about that sensory experience I'm talking about the disconnect between what has been sold what's essentially being projected to you to influence your opinion about that product and the real thing you're talking about question, dating dating apps sort of <laughs> <laughs> well, back, back to Scott's point about you know because this is a, there's a correlation between what I'm saying there and the water meter like it's, it's very true that photographers are often asked when a building is built in a you know high density intersection with infrastructure everywhere, power lines, mm -hmm. lighting, all kinds of crap, they're asked <laughs> to edit that stuff yeah, out. Sure. But if I walked up to that building, and I'm not talking about 20 years from now, I'm talking about like, yeah. if I walked up to that building and I was standing beside the photographer, my experience is very different than what the photographer, sorry, I didn't mean to point at you specifically, but. <laughs> I feel but, very targeted right yeah. now. <laughs> but my experience is very different than potentially what the image is going to be projecting. And so, I, kind of keeping on the clock, I think we got like 15, 20 minutes. I really do want to get to that point. I think that's sort of what I, the, the meaty issue I wanted to throw out there. Another, is, is there something wrong with that? I think another interesting kind of product is cars. Because they'll shoot cars in a studio with this giant light box and the picture will look perfect. There's not a stray shadow. There's not a single reflection that's not supposed to be there. Yet it's the same car. It's literally the same car. If you saw it on the street, it would look very different. The experience would be the same, the experience of driving, but that's not what they're selling with the picture. They're trying to draw you in um, to take an interest in the product, and then there's other things they're going to do. They're going to let you drive the car, they're going to let you sit in it, touch it, whatever, configure it online to, to then close the deal. But I think... Um, commercial photography of products at least is heavily reliant on how good the product looks because that's what gets people in the door and um, I think it's the same for commercial photography not in the context of being published or awards it's a, to me it's a little bit of a different animal but in the context of an architect who's trying to sell his services and that's what they're trying to do, no matter what people say, you're selling your services and imagery is a big part of that. I think um, that's where the similarities are between product, commercial photography, or fashion photography and architecture. And to me, you gotta take into account the uh, in-person experience of the building is the amount of doctoring you do to an image gonna alter the in-person experience of the project. And I think that's where I would draw the line where um, it's okay to remove a gas line or a switch or an exit sign if it makes the picture look better because it's not gonna change dramatically the way the architecture is. But Scott was saying something very interesting is that um, pictures bring a four-dimension world into two dimensions. So there's uh, three dimensions and a fourth dimension time that are compressed into a two-dimensional object. So it's never going to be absolutely faithful to reality. In fact, I'm going to use that exact statement as a perfect segue to what I want to get Kyle to, to chime in on. We're talking a lot about the two-dimensional 
reality of or unreality of photography and the limitations, the technical and the, the perspective limitations that go with that. But Kyle, one of the reasons I wanted you to be a part of this <clears throat> is because it, I find it a very interesting, almost like that, uh, that, that unruly stepchild on the side of the conversation. I find architectural documentary filmmaking, or for, take the word documentary, mm -hmm. just architectural filmmaking to be an interesting opposition in a way. So maybe mm -hmm. I'm curious what you think. Is there, is there a difference and what is the difference between what you're seeing in terms of the films that you're curating for the film festival, uh, in terms of how architecture is represented, uh, issues of truth, if there is anything narrative, uh, in those type, in what you consider the good right. films right. versus the kind of what we're talking about and what we're seeing in terms of architectural right. photography. Right. Well, I think the common thread in all these things is they're, they're all storytelling. Like as architects, we're storytelling. Still photography, storytelling. Film is storytelling. You know, writing is storytelling. It's all that take that perspective. And, you know, I think that um, the truthfulness of documentary filmmaking is probably this goes the same with uh, still photography. I think you can make it honest, whatever, and you can define honesty however you want, or you can make it, you know, tell bullshit, you know, and you can do, I think, I think with still photography, it's such a captured moment that you can control the image in such a strong way. Where in documentary filmmaking, you can control the story in a different way. You can add music and light and backstory and front story to the whole thing. And is it more truthful or less truthful than photography? I don't think. I don't think they're both like they, you can you can take that on either side of it. But I think um, I think you can tell the story. I think still photography was a great was a, you know if you look at how architecture was told stories, we told. I mean, the best thing is to go see a building. There's nothing better than that. That's you know. So all these things are just like the real way to see a build. The real way is to go see a building, uh, and if you can't do that, you know, a rendering is a certain perspective, models a certain perspective, photography is a certain perspective. I think actually, modern photography took the before digital stuff took the humanity out of architecture, because I mean, if you if it takes so long to take take you know set up a shot, you can't have people in it because what you're saying. I mean, and if you look at Julia Shulman kind of work, you know. Except for maybe like in his famous shot with a woman in the case study house, you know, we all know that because there's a person in there. And so it was a little bit more engaging. And then um, and then film allows you to bring humanity back into it. And I actually think in the, in the photography world, Iwan Bon is interesting because he's brought human humanity back into it because he's shooting with a 35 millimeter camera a lot rather than I think right? rather than uh, yeah, he is. rather than, with a, you know, with a larger format camera so he can shoot things in a different way. I mean, it's interesting, his kind of rise to, in the world of fame. I mean, I'm curious what you guys think about that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, Is the recording still running? <laughs> <laughs> you can say he wants fine, he won't give a shit. Say whatever. It's okay to have an opinion. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I, I don't really know what to say. I think it's. I think. It, I also think it's fascinating that he seems to have um, had a rise to fame doing work that perhaps if Arno or I presented to our clients, we'd be told to go back and Photoshop it. So um, I actually met him. Uh, I don't know if it's going to cycle back to Hong Kong building. He was also hired to photograph as we were, and we were, happened to coincide in our path. So we, we um, the, the university organized like a tour of the rooftop so that we could get better vantage points. And we were on, and Iwan was there with us. So I got to see him work firsthand <laughs> then. So, and he had, yeah, no tripod, just his uh, DSLR, click, click. Um, yeah, um, 
Uh, I don't really have anything more to say about that. I yes, think it's. You, I think, you sure you don't? No, have I don't. Um, no, I think it's really. I think it's great that he's managed to. You know, he sort of got this um, reputation as like the you know, enfant terrible of, um, of architectural photography that he can just go and shoot everything as it is. But I mean, back to what Arnold said before. I'm going to say, what is reality? You know, you. But photography, by its very nature, is never objective. Even if, even in uh, photos that are not staged, mm -hmm. just the the lenses you choose, the time of day that you choose to go there what you decide to frame within your your field of vision like it all it, i mean you can just never be objective there, you'll always have some sort of agenda there mm -hmm. in in all photography you're making these decisions and mm -hmm. i feel that these uh discussions tend to get really caught up in photoshop when there's so many mm -hmm. decisions you can make when you're actually taking the photo that, that alter the the look of the photo and unison i gave a talk at u of t a couple of months ago where we actually had some i should have brought them i thought this he this morning some side-by-side -side images and we say this is this is a wide angle of the same place. This is a telephoto. Mm. This is it. A day, this is a night. You see, this is a standing one place, and this is a same lens standing, you know, 20 feet away. And you see what a difference it makes. And all of these change how it is. And we're not talking about editing or Photoshop now. So it's just such a, a subjective, um, you know, discipline at all that I feel that we sort of get a caught up in these discussions about removing things where, you know, it's really these decisions that make it, and you can never represent a, you know, you're, de facto making something that isn't realistic because you're taking a space and you're turning it into 2D. Anyway, sorry, that went off on a really long tangent. No, no, it's, talking a, it's a completely legitimate tangent because yeah. it, it forces forces the question to re-examine itself. Yeah. Why are we asking this question, should there be something called truth as it's related to photography <clears throat> when you're arguing, I'm not going to say you specifically, yeah. but there's a strong argument to be said that there's no such thing. Okay, well, moving aside from those uh, deep-level philosophical one, one, one more thing dives. about I know there's one like famous uh, photo, I can't, I can't remember which one of Iwan Bonds, but in one of the Chinese projects where, you know, he's got someone, I don't know, pushing a rickshaw or something there, but, you know, it's sort of maybe like the one time that it happened that day. It's not like it makes it seem like that that's how it always is, but, you know, you can you can set up these things, too, too, but it isn't, you know, it's supposed to be, this is real, this is reality, but, but is it? <laughs> you, you don't know. Well, I mean, Sorry, if I may jump in quickly, there's a couple of things that are interesting there. Um, uh, what Amanda was saying about photography being an interpretation, it's definitely a reflection of the person who's taking the picture, and she's 100% right. If the gear you use, the, where you put the camera, the time of day, all those things affect uh, how a building is going to look. And, and I'm going to say this again, short of going to the building in person, you're never going to get a re representation of reality that's 100% accurate. You can get close-ish, but you're never going to get there. And to go back to Iwan Ban, he's, I think he's more of a documentary type of photographer, even though he operates in the architecture world, and he's found this kind of niche that a few photo uh, architects seem to like. Um, I. I haven't seen him work, so you, I, I'm just speaking from what I've seen in terms of his work produced, but I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if even half or more of his pictures weren't staged, like he asked someone to sit there to, for him for the picture. It, it, it would be really difficult to, to accomplish those results 100% of the time without some kind of art direction. 
So maybe the, the rickshaw guy you were talking about, he, maybe he paid him 10 bucks to walk through Yeah, I mean, I don't know that he did. I'm just saying this is my but it's, Yeah, but I mean, I don't think anyone's going to disagree that there's we, there's there's whole courses in university that do deep dive metaphysical deconstructions mm -hmm. of what it means to be real. I don't want to get into that. I, I literally just want, sort of like the smell test. I really do just want to get a sense from, from everyone here. Is Should there be a line that separates architectural photography saying this is what the building is more or less this is truth versus if you you know if they do something else they are now uh fabricating or manipulating the representation of that building is there a line of truth should there be because to me the next question is i mean that that's sort of a, a binary it's either a yes or no either there should or shouldn't be if there is or meaning there should be i think the next question is how should that be policed how do we do it or do you just say, well, technology's changing how we interface with reality anyway, why bother, let it, let it take its course? Or should someone, and I ask this on a very personal level because part of my job, and I think also, you know, Kyle's the kind of guy also who could say part of his job as a gatekeeper of transmitting these images and me as well in print, uh, we need to keep these things in mind. And I'm thinking from the community of both the makers and the other makers, the makers who hire other makers, <clears throat> should there be a line? Should well, there be something that is said, this is true, and we accept it, this is not true, and we condemn it? You're a, you're, you're a journalist, effectively, right? Right. You're, that's a different thing than an architect presenting their, themselves. Like, that's the difference between McDonald's presenting the Big Mac and a journalist reporting on Big Macs. Right. So I, would, my, I guess my reaction is you can't have that line. The line that you can have, though, is a journalistic line. So rather than thinking about it within photography as a whole, as a journalist, um, you are responsible. I would think that someone presents you images of their building. Like I come to you and I say, I did this awesome interior, Peter. Here's some images of it. And you're like, oh, this looks really great. And then you send someone out to the building and they're like, uh, Peter, you should uh, go see what the actual thing is. You would then make a decision like, we can't put these photographs in. But we think the building school will send a photographer or something like that, right, to capture. So That's just like- So are you, are you basically saying that it's, it's, a, it's a situation of whatever the architect can get away with, and I have to be the gatekeeper yeah. to try and keep you guys in line? You have to. The journalists yeah. have to be yeah. the gatekeepers. Job's hard enough as it is. Yeah, because- I have because to assume the, you're all lying to me now, is what you're in saying. In a way, you I'm do. Kidding. Like, I'm not but, trying to be that obtuse, but- But isn't that the way well, the media that's has always question. been, right? Yeah. Everyone has an agenda, and the role of, of institutions is to be to provide that gatekeeping in the context of their mission, right? So if the mission of your, of, uh, uh, of the, uh, your enterprise is to present blah, then you need to stick to it, right? And, and then you're kind of setting where that line is. What's right for you and your publication you okay. may not be right for. Now take me out of the equation. Okay. Let's, let's talk about people, whatever that means. The, the, the public to which you are representing this building. Would there be a line there? Or is it the same, is it the same relationship with, with me, a journalist? It's up to the public to, in a way, develop a bit of architectural uh, literacy and begin to understand buildings and how they're represented in two-dimensional photography versus film versus uh, actually inhabiting and standing in the building and experiencing it for all its glory. See, see I, don't, I don't think there's that much weight on the, arc, the, the photographs that the architect produces. 
um, like you say, okay, you'll never, 99% of the people won't see that building, but they'll see it photographed by another thousand people. Like, especially if you go on Instagram, you could see the famous opera, you know, <laughs> the architect has his pictures, but then there's a million pictures of it. So it, it, you know, I, you know, if you're photographing in Toronto, yes, you have to take the wires out. We do take the wires out, but if you photograph in Paris, there are no wires because they're civilized. You know, and we don't care about our wires on the street, no matter how many times they're going to come down with a storm. So, you know, so, so the thing is, we do spend hundreds of hours taking those things out of our pictures, but we don't get work because of our pictures. It, you, architect rarely gets work because of that. There's a million other things that you actually affect the reason why you're getting that job or not. And the mm -hmm. picture is just a small part of it, just what I was saying about McDonald's. It's just a small part of it. Yes, that's the intent, but it doesn't matter how many pictures of Volvo you're going to show me, I'll never buy one. You know? So, I'll, you know, there's a lot of things like if clients would not use us, then some clients would really use us. And, and so, and there are other factors, there are, there are a million factors why you get a job. Photograph is a part of it. Mm -hmm. And I don't think there is a, any problem with just doing a little bit of work on it. And I also want to say that photographers are artists as well, so that I don't think they're just doing a job of recording. So if they are out there and, and somebody is, <coughs> you know, being photoshopped <coughs> in later, give them, a, give them a license to be a painter. I think that's okay. I think also um, people, you know, people experience buildings differently when they're in them than when they, you see a photo. It's like, you know, I always come back to analogies with portraiture. Like you see a, a picture of somebody in someone's face, you're going to start sort of like picking them apart. You'd be like, oh, their features aren't symmetrical. You notice a lot more. But whereas in you're in the space, you're sort of, you're not necessarily so noticing. So it's like, I think it's really hard to draw an absolute line where, and you also have to come, I mean, there's a whole other complicated discussion about like design intent, you know, maybe something was supposed to be designed a, a certain way and then somewhere along the way in the project, um, you know, budget got cut or something happened and then it didn't happen in a way. So if you're removing this thing, are you being truer to the design intent and what the architect actually would have done and has the skill to do had this unforeseen activity not, ha not happened? So, I mean, there's all these sort of, it's a, feel like it's a really case by case basis where the line is and you can't just say here's a hard line beyond which unless you're going to say no edit like no uh, digital removal at all which I mean photojournalists do right they have a code of ethics where they're not supposed to I think I was asked to shoot by the New York Times once they asked to shoot something here and you just were supposed to send them raw files and I didn't know doing it not for that reason but <laughs> um, and I know like uh, newspapers will send out their own photographers to, to photograph stuff too as well as get images because I can only speak to where I draw the line and for me is when and that's actually never happened to me but that's where I would draw the line is for when people ask me to represent the architecture in a way that um, cannot be experienced in person so I'll give you a couple examples. I, yes, I just want to jump in and say same. Like I'm not advocating for like total removal of anything. I routinely yeah. remove outlets and smoke alarms and exit signs. Even though they're technically part of the architecture, they're required by code. And even though we could expect architects to work around those constraints to integrate them better in the design, it's not always feasible or there's not enough budget or whatever the reason. Uh, so for me, all those things are fair game. I've a few times 
photograph buildings that were clad in wood and the wood wasn't finished the way it was supposed to be. So instead of being a dark stain, it was just <laughs> not stained at all. So, so I you restained it? I digitally stained it. <laughs> and it's actually really easy to do. Mm -hmm. But that was the architect's intent. And to mm -hmm. me, they could go tomorrow with a can of stain and actually do it. So yeah. to me, it's, it's fair game in that sense. If they asked me to remove like a wall or um, change something that would dramatically alter the architecture, I would probably put my foot down. So your line is structural <laughs> enhancement? <laughs> <laughs> I just have to bring it back to like what an architect using a photographer to be part of a process of almost a design process. At that point, you're kind of like, in a way, you're, there's a difference between documenting a building and presenting a design intention. Those are actually two different things that may overlap a lot or a little. I'll give you an example from mine. I uh, did a building years and years ago that was supposed to have, court. it was a house, it was a square plan house. It was supposed to have corner windows on all four corners of the top level. And the client cut the budget and eliminated those corner windows. So it was this two-way symmetrical uh, roof and the corner windows were such a key feature. And so I photographed and I'm like, I'm putting those corner windows in. And it was very easy to do because I just took uh, the windows that were in the center and just slid it over and added the extra corner windows. That was the, that was the party, that was the thing. And now, who am I showing this picture to? First of all, like, what's the purpose of this picture? Most of the purpose is for me to be like, how would this house look I if did. it was actually <laughs> done properly? Like, yeah. And, you know, like, I, I have to admit that I was unsuccessful in getting it done. I mean, is that my fault? Is it whatever? Is it, does that matter? Now, if I was to show that to a prospective client, they were like, yeah, I really love that. We want the corner windows. windows. Say, me too. Anyway, I don't know, because to me, that was like, I'm, I'm playing, right? I'm a designer. I play with images as part of thinking. And playing with an image of an existing piece and playing with an image before it exists, to me, they're almost the same thing. Mm -hmm. And then it's all about what, what's the context for this image. If I was to publish that in, uh, you know, Interiors Magazine and show that house with the corner windows, I'd start feeling... Uh, that's not maybe that's not right. Yeah, like so I'm not going to give them that, that line that yeah. no one wants to define. <laughs> yeah. I, I think there's two cases where the line is probably a bit of a harder stance: is publications and awards. Because mm. there yeah, was that that yeah. case in Chicago three years ago yeah, exactly. where yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that doctor building won an award, and then they found out later, oh, and he would yeah. that mountain the, of crap on the roof. That yeah, they cut off. the guy yeah. would probably not have won the award. The award. Right. So and but I would say the responsibility is partly on the architect and the photographer, but also on the, the either the journalist or the, the, the organization doing the awards. Now I could say I do both. <laughs> I am the journalist and we do an awards and in fact part of the genesis for this conversation, and I, I was just given the wrap it up finger, but part of the genesis was I experienced that exact situation in our Best of Canada awards process where mm -hmm. it became clear that someone had submitted a project that, the, I mean, because judges only have so many t minutes in a day, mm -hmm. they're judging very much on first reactions, they're not doing investigative journalism, mm -hmm. they're saying, they're assuming they're being represented truthfully, right, the building is being represented to them truthfully. And thankfully, one of the judges on my panel has like an eagle eye and figured out there's something wrong about this. At first, it was 
set aside to be potentially a winner. And the more he looked at it, he's like, there's something wrong, there's something wrong, there's something wrong. Did a deep, you know, go, get, like go, go to Google Street View. And it turns out like 70% of the actual image was, was rendering, was something done wow. in After Effects or whatever. And only like, only the, the outline basically was legit. And that's, that blew my mind because if not for that guy, that project might have won a Best mm -hmm. of Canada, mm -hmm. pushing other projects out of the way, blah, 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 blah. Hence, you're putting it on me, which I guess you're right. I do have, a, I am supposed to be responsible, but I guess to wrap this up, I also would like to put it on all of you. Try to be truthful. <laughs> try, not to, try not to lie to me. You need photographers <laughs> on your juries. I, we, yeah, we've done that before. But then, <laughs> send your own photographer to go shoot all the projects. Well, see, I if, if, yeah, I, no if, if I had an architectural record yeah. budget, I absolutely could. But even an architectural record can't send their own photographer to look at every building they look at. No, I know. Yeah, a if book. it's a different world, there's a different way to handle it. But I think everyone would really enjoy this book, so I have to get the recommendation in. It's Michael Trachtenberg's Building in Time. It, it's a big chunk of a book, um, but it's really worth because it's it's about the question of the history of the image in architecture from pre-Renaissance through the Renaissance shift to where image then became the the idea of the pre-existing image of the building being manifest at versus the building as a as part of a continuum where that is a radical shift in the relationship between image and building that we are now scripted to live out and i just feel like it's it's a i i had never really encountered that so well you know well said and uh, so it's a, it's a good book to have in your architectural library um, building in time and this is a great conversation yeah thanks for yeah hosting it Hey again, Arno here. If you like this interview, be sure to give us a review on SoundCloud or iTunes. This episode was produced by Revelator Studio, edited by Ryan Akhtari, with music by Bounce Trio. To be notified of upcoming episodes, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Revelator underscore Tio, or sign up for our newsletter on our website at rvltr.studio. Keep on supporting creativity and never stop kicking fear in the nuts. Till next time, ciao.